0: Remember, remember, the 6th f- of November. Yes. Please do. That's the 6th of November. Mark it down. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling of something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left me, joke, to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you yep yes i'm stuck in the from pacifica radio you. in los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 FM, 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 fm in la 98.7 face, in santa barbara 93.7 in san diego 99.5 fm in ridgecrest in china lake california Also up in uh, Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and Cottage Grove on KSO. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me, from bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today, as we are still fighting, uh, as we are every day, particularly between now and November 6th. To make the world safe for democracy again. To that end, we will speak with an attorney uh, representing one of the groups now suing the state of Florida and the state of Arizona in advance of the midterm elections. Both of those states are holding their primary elections on Tuesday. We will speak with uh, Stuart Nafee shortly. Uh, about uh, both of those suits and whether they can be decided in time to make a difference for this year's crucial general election, if not in time for those primaries on Tuesday. So that's coming up very momentarily, but of course, after a, <laughs> well, another very busy news weekend uh, in which none of the news appears to have Reflected particularly well on the president of the United States, Uh, he's got a new distraction today, saying that he's uh, terminating NAFTA. President Trump says he'll be terminating the North American Free Trade Agreement as he pursues a deal with Mexico directly and then starts negotiations separately at some point with Canada. According to Trump, uh, both of whom, by the way, he has threatened with greater trade sanctions if they don't play ball with him as he wants them to. Trump said uh, on Monday during an Oval Office event that he will be calling the emerging agreement, quote, the United States-Mexico trade agreement. He says that will end the mark, uh, will mark the end of the NAFTA name. Outgoing President Of Mexico, Enrique Peña Nieto, who will be replaced by President-elect Andres Manuel López Obrador in December, Uh, he'll be representing a liberal opposition party. He was on um, the uh, president, uh, Peña Nieto, was on speakerphone with Trump during the announcement today in the Oval Office and says that he hopes NAFTA partner Canada will be incorporated into the deal eventually. Adam Austin, a spokesperson for the uh, Canadian foreign minister, says Canada has been in regular contact with the NAFTA negotiators. He says we will only sign a new NAFTA agreement that is good for Canada and good for the middle class, adding that Canada's signature would be required for any such agreement. So uh, that said, I might be cautious about taking Trump's announcement of a new trade deal to replace NAFTA with a uh, few grains of salt for several reasons, among them the fact that Trump makes such announcements all the time before any such deals are actually in place. Hopefully you know that or now uh, know that by now, but it seems uh, worth noting. So uh, take it with a grain of salt for the moment, but feel free to give me a call if you have any thoughts on that or any of the other news from over the very busy weekend. Uh, there was a lot of news. Uh, our phone number is 818-985-5735 if you'd like to queue up now. On Saturday, of course, Arizona's 6 term Republican U.S. Senator And former Vietnam prisoner of war and torture victim and the GOP's iconoclastic 2008 presidential nominee, John McCain, he died over the weekend, just short of his 82nd birthday. Nine years to the day, by the way, after his long-serving Democratic colleague in the U.S. Senate, Ted Kennedy, died of the very same aggressive form of brain cancer. Um, On Sunday... Broadway uh, stage and screen legendary uh, playwright and screenwriter Neil Simon, the comic genius behind classics like The Odd Couple, Barefoot in the Park, Prisoner of Second Avenue, Biloxi Blues, far too many to name here, uh, including one of my my own personal all-time favorites, The Sunshine Boys. Neil Simon died at the age of 91. And on Sunday, we also had another mass shooting in Florida. Add it to the list. This one at a game, a video game competition, leaving three dead and eleven injured overall. And yes, another young white American man has been identified as the shooter who took his own life. Uh, correct. He was not a Muslim terrorist. He was not an undocumented immigrant. He was just another. Uh, White American male. Uh, At the same time, the uh, DNC finally stripped its so called superdelegates of much of their power to select presidential nominees over the will of its own voters across the country. That was on Saturday in its uh, annual summer meeting in Chicago. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. And if you'd like to ring in on any of those matters or any others, I'd love to hear from you today at 818-985-5735. But first, as I mentioned, speaking of uh, all of the above, um, as we try to continue uh, to see through all the smoke and the fire and the murk here five days a week on the broadcast, voters in both Arizona and Florida are heading to the polls on Tuesday As the long primary season for the crucial 28 midterms begins to wrap up over the next few weeks, and speaking of both Florida and Arizona and, of course, the crucial 2018 midterms, uh, the exodus of Puerto Ricans affected by both Hurricanes Irma and Maria almost one year ago has created an influx of potential new voters On the continental U.S. here, according to a lawsuit recently filed by the nonpartisan public policy group DEMOS and several Latino-American organizations, the Center for Puerto Rican Studies estimates that more than 130,000 Puerto Ricans relocated to the continent after Hurricane Maria. Of those, more than 56,000 now reside in Florida, or at least did as of March 2018. Despite the efforts of campaigns to reach this new electorate, ProPublica reports that displaced Republicans don't seem to be registering to vote at the same rate that some were expecting, at least by now. The reason for that is not altogether clear, but language barriers in some parts of Florida specifically are being cited as one of the potential roadblocks being faced by Hurricane Maria refugees here on the mainland. Uh, The recently filed lawsuit argues that Puerto Ricans living in Florida who have limited English proficiency will be prevented from voting this year because, according to a press release from Demos announcing the suit, elections in many parts of the state of Florida are conducted only in English. The suit alleges that 32 Florida counties are not planning to provide ballots in Spanish to voters this November despite the influx of Puerto Ricans after last year's storms made much of the island virtually uninhabitable for months. Uh, Although Puerto Ricans are American citizens, the island doesn't elect its own voting representative to Congress or U.S. senators. Evacuees who moved to the mainland after the hurricane are eligible to vote in the midterm elections in the state in which they are now living But they have to re-register to vote in order to do so in that state. And for some, navigating both the registration process and the voting process itself, including reading up on the candidates and initiatives on the ballot, may be impossible this year unless Florida quickly changes the materials that they make available to voters in the state in places where they have English-only materials for registering, for voting The suit cites Section 4E of the Voting Rights Act. That's one of the sections of the landmark 1965 Act, which, to my knowledge, has not yet been gutted by the U.S. Supreme Court and which specifically protects Puerto Rican voters educated in Spanish-speaking schools on the island. It prohibits states from making the right to vote contingent on a person's ability to understand English. Demos has also filed suit against the other state holding primaries on Tuesday. That would be Arizona. So let's get more information on both of these complaints now. From Stuart Nafee, uh, he is the he is a voting rights attorney and senior counsel at Demos, where he works to reduce barriers to political participation. In the U.S., particularly among people whose voices have traditionally been marginalized and to ensure compliance with the National Voter Registration Act's requirement, requirement that states offer individuals who apply for public assistance the opportunity to register to vote, something that is still, by the way, remarkably the subject of lawsuits in state after state and county after county now some 25 years after the passage of that landmark election statute, the National Voter Registrations Act, which was enacted during the Bill Clinton presidency. Uh, Stuart Nafee, welcome to the broadcast, sir.
1: Good afternoon, Brad. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Uh, really appreciate you joining us. Let's talk first about the Florida suit, if you don't mind, uh, and the, the plight faced by really tens of thousands of evacuees from Puerto Rico after Maria last year. Uh, which, uh, if they're allowed to register and vote, could change the electoral makeup of Florida for this year's midterm. So, first, uh, Stuart, tell me about Marta Rivera. Uh, I believe uh, she is the 70-year-old woman uh, who has been named as plaintiff in this suit. What is her story, and uh, what impediments is she, uh, and presumably many others like her, now facing uh, now that she's been evacuated from Puerto Rico and hopes to vote in Florida this November in the uh, 2018 midterms?
1: Sure. Uh, Marta Rivera, is our client in the case, uh, she came to Florida last year after losing nearly everything in Hurricane Maria. Her house was damaged in the storm, and then flooding uh, destroyed many of her personal items. Uh, She fled to Florida, where she had an adult daughter living. Uh, She moved in with her daughter for a while and then moved out to her own place. Um, She was able to register to vote when Mm -hmm. she went to get her state ID at the DMV, uh, Mm -hmm. only because she had her daughter with her Mm. and was lucky enough to find a Spanish-speaking DMV clerk.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, But come November, she's going to have to face an election that is run entirely in English in Gainesville, where she
3: lives.
0: And does that mean that uh, materials like explanations for the uh, ballot initiatives and things like that, that that is also only available in English? And is that the case only at the polling place or is online as well, uh, that material not available in uh, in anything but English?
1: Well, the county publishes a voter guide, Mm -hmm. and that is published only in English, and that has a lot of the material that you're referring to, so it has... Know, candidate statements and explanations of ballot initiatives and information about where to go to vote and how to get an absentee ballot and, and all that kind of uh, information that we take for granted um, in an election. But mm-hmm. when you can't understand it, it makes the whole process mystifying. Mm.
0: Uh, especially in Florida, where it's sometimes mystifying already, it seems. This is Alachua County, I believe, where Ms. Rivera is now based. Um, uh, is that one of the areas which used to be covered by preclearance under Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, uh, which requires new voting processes to be approved first by the federal government because of uh, history of racial, racial uh, issues? Uh, or does that issue not even come into play here because this is not a new change by the county and the, uh, the others in Florida, but a continuation of their long policy of not producing election materials in Spanish?
1: Well, that, exact, you're exactly right. Uh, Section 5, while it would have required most voting changes to be pre-cleared, um, it, you know, if nothing was being changed, mm-hmm. then they didn't have to go to the federal government and ask for permission to continue doing what they were doing. And Alachua County has been running English-only elections for a very long time now. Um, the population of the county has changed, not only because of Hurricane Maria, but just because of other uh, population changes, migration patterns. Mm-hmm. So there are already uh, many Puerto Ricans living in Alachua County, even before the hurricane, many people who had limited English, people who arrived from Puerto Rico at some point coming for jobs or for family or whatever the reason, uh, you know, often come and don't have a lot of English, and they need to have Spanish-speaking materials as well. Uh, but, of course, Hurricane Maria uh aggravated the situation immensely because it's a lot of people coming all at once um with very limited English. Typically, they aren't people who have spent a lot of time on the continental United States, for the most part.
3: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And most of the Puerto Ricans living in Puerto Rico have limited English upwards of 80 to 90 percent.
0: So how many people, I mean, of course, Florida is famous for its often incredibly close elections. So how many people, uh, how many voters is uh, Demos and the other groups uh, who are suing here, how many are they worried may be put at a disadvantage in uh, well, in really being able to vote at all this year, do we have any hard uh, numbers on how many Puerto Rican U.S. citizens have successfully re-registered to vote on the mainland uh, and in uh, Florida specifically this year? Well,
1: it's hard to put numbers on the people who came as a result of Hurricane Maria. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, still very preliminary. Um, that You mentioned some of the estimates that have been made by the Center for Puerto Rican Studies. Uh, mm mm-hmm. What we do know is that even before Hurricane Maria, there were a significant number of Puerto Rican voters with limited English who were living in the counties that we've named in our lawsuit. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: in those thirty-two counties, over thirty thousand Puerto Ricans, according to two thousand fifteen census estimates, and those are the most recent we have, over thirty thousand Puerto Ricans have limited English mm. living in those uh, in those thirty-two counties. So, it's, wow. you know, tens of thousands of people even yeah. before Hurricane Maria.
0: Right. In in a state where we once had a presidential election, uh, theoretically decided by a few hundred voters. Uh, so this could make uh, a big difference in a number of these uh, races around the state, not just for uh, the uh, contested U.S. Senate race this year, but in House districts, in local elections and in ballot initiatives, of course. Um, so uh, what are you seeking uh, as a remedy here? It seems... Pretty simple, and I suspect there are uh, some states in Florida who produce material, uh, election and registration material in uh, in Spanish. Is is there? Uh, w- what's the remedy here, and is there time for it? Given that we're just about seventy days out now from the uh, general election,
1: uh, you're exactly right. There are several counties. There are at least uh, fifteen counties that we're aware of in Florida that. Uh, already run bilingual elections or in some cases, trilingual elections. They print all their ballots in three languages. They provide information in all those in Spanish and English. Um, and people can use that information and cast an informed ballot. Uh, the 32 counties that we've named in our lawsuit don't do that. Mm-hmm. And we think that, you know, there's, there's precedent for doing it. It's the other counties have done it. Um, and we think that there's time before the election for these counties to just pick up what the other counties have done and and provide bilingual materials in in their counties so that people can cast a meaningful ballot.
0: And how uh, how has the state so far responded? And I guess specifically uh, the counties in question. I mean, this seems like it. Frankly, it should be a no-brainer. It would seem like something that uh, Florida Governor Rick Scott, who is also on the ballot this year, running for the U.S. Senate, seems like something that he would uh, want to do, and uh, you know, want to make it look like he is ordering uh, all of these uh, folks to be able to, you know, register and vote in their own language. Uh, what's the response from from him, from his hand? Picked Secretary of State Ken Detzner, uh, neither of them have been friend, friends of voters over the years, but from them and from the counties, what, what's, their, what's their response? It seems like they should say, oh, yeah, sure, we'll do that.
1: Well, that has unfortunately not been the response. Uh, we actually began, long before we filed this lawsuit, we sent letters to a number of the counties that mm-hmm. we've named, uh, notifying them that this is an issue, then they need to deal with it, um, you know, Telling them how many people they have in their uh, county who are Puerto Rican and asking them to, to begin preparing bilingual materials—that was back in April. So they've been a, a, on notice of the issue for a long time, and they should have really already been known about this issue. It's been, mm-hmm. a, as you mentioned, it's been in the law since 1965, <laughs> uh, and there are a lot of Puerto Ricans living in Puerto R- in uh, Florida, and always have been.
0: I in uh, in recent years, your uh, suit alleges under both Democratic and Republican administrations, the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice, has regularly enforced this particular section, Section 4E of the Voting Rights Act, uh, as part of its mandate to enforce the nation's civil rights laws. have uh, Has that changed under this Department of Justice uh, that you've noticed uh, run by uh, Trump's Attorney General Jeff Sessions? Has there been a difference in the way they've uh, gone about enforcing some of these uh, cases around the country? Well,
1: I can certainly say there has been a difference in the way they've gone about enforcing voting rights cases in general. Um, there has not been any Lawsuit from the Department of Justice under Section Four D of the Voting Rights Act, which is the section that protects Puerto Ricans from mm-hmm. discrimination. There were lawsuits under both the Bush and Obama administrations. Not a, not a lot of them. They, you know, it's an it's infrequently used statute, but you know, in this particular circumstance, it's it, it's calling out for some kind of enforcement action, um, particularly given the county's response to our letters. Um, and we have not heard anything from the Justice Department. Hmm. There was a the lawsuit in uh, filed in 2008. I think it was finally resolved around 2012 um, in Volusia County, Florida, mm-hmm. where it was filed by private parties like ourselves, like mm-hmm. Ms. Rivera here. Uh, and the Justice Department came in and filed a friend of the court brief um, urging the county to, to to do what it needed to do and mm-hmm. make sure that people can vote in Spanish. Um, We haven't seen that here, Um, anything about something like that coming.
0: uh, Very quickly, I've got uh, just a few minutes here, and I want to get to the Arizona case. But uh, Scott, uh, Rick Scott, Governor Scott, and Secretary of State Detzner in Florida, uh, for years they have uh, attempted to simply purge voters entirely from the rolls. Uh, leading to various uprisings over the past few years from county elections officials around the state who charged that uh, Scott and Detzner were attempting to uh, purge voters improperly. uh, And those purges were effectively blocked, as far as we know. Uh, This year, the U.S. Supreme Court, in one of its last decisions of the last term, made it easier for states to begin the purge process of voting rolls after voters failed to vote in one single uh, federal election. Uh, This was a case out of Ohio in that case. Uh, Stuart Nafee, have we seen any similar attempts this year in Florida to inappropriately purge rolls from, you know, of of those who did manage to uh, register this year?
1: Well, I could give you a very long answer to that question, but I'll give you a short one at this point there are a lot of groups keeping an eye on things and making sure that that doesn't happen and so far we have not uh... we have been successful in preventing florida from engaging in any kind of unwarranted and aggressive purges.
0: I will take the short answer, as long as it's a good one, and that is good news, uh, Stuart. Uh, on Arizona, we've got uh, both Florida and Arizona holding their statewide primaries on Tuesday this week. Uh, I understand you've also filed a suit recently in Arizona against its voter registration procedures, specifically against its uh, Secretary of State, Michelle Reagan. Uh, what are you alleging in the, uh, in the Arizona case?
1: In the Arizona case, uh, we discovered uh, that Arizona had been systematically failing to update people's voting addresses when they change their address. Um, Under the motor voter law, the National Voter Registration Act, which you mentioned earlier, Mm one of the first uh, laws that Bill Clinton signed into law when he became president, states when someone goes to change their address for their driver's license it's supposed to automatically update your voter registration address unless you say this is not you know, a change for voter registration purposes mm-hmm. Arizona has been systematically failing to do that and the result is that there are as many as half a million Arizonans whose addresses are out of date oh. on the voter rolls
0: half a million Arizona,
1: half a million that's the secretary's own estimate a- uh, it's, that it's half a million people whose addresses have not been updated.
0: And So these are addresses that have not been updated in the voter rolls, despite the fact that the uh, voter in question actually went to the uh, DMV to update their driver's license because they moved, they made that move, and the state has that information, and they're just not sharing it with the Secretary of State, or the Secretary of State no, no, is refusing state. to use it.
1: They are sharing it. The DMV is sharing it with the Secretary of State, and the Secretary of State has, whether, you know, through inadvertence or whether it was intentional, I can't say, but has not been doing anything with that information, even though it's been coming in from the DMV.
0: So what does that mean when uh, voters go to vote, whether it's a Tuesday or, or this November, um, sure. and their address has changed?
1: What it often means is that they don't know where to go. I mean, that's the first problem. Mm -hmm. People don't know where to go because they haven't been sent any kind of notice saying, here's your new polling place. And if they go to their old polling place, because that's, you know, where they've always gone, and that's what happens when people don't have the information, um, they can cast a provisional ballot, but the state won't count it. So
0: So they'll they'll cast a provisional ballot because they are... Uh, no longer located at that address? And will the uh, will, will the uh, records, when they show up, say, oh, we have a record that you moved, we just don't have well, your new address?
1: Arizona is one of many states now that have recently enacted, or not so recently, en- enacted voter ID. So you have right. to show an ID before you can vote. Uh, and because we're talking about a group of people who changed the address on their ID... Uh, their ID doesn't match what's on the voter rolls and so the the the, the poll workers at the election put at the uh, on election day will Mm -hmm. say your you know your ID doesn't match your registration so you have to cast a provisional ballot. And then the state won't count it.
0: And then the state state will not
1: count it? They will not count it, no. And if they have the wherewithal to find their new polling place and go to the new polling place the one that matches their driver's license mm-hmm. they will also have to cast a provisional ballot because they won't be on the rolls there but that will count so the the thing to do for voters if they are aware of this issue is to find out where the polling place is that matches their driver's license uh and vote there, you know, that matches their current address where they actually live, and vote there.
0: And this could all be done, and you would argue uh, should uh, all be done automatically once they've made that change with the DMV. It should just, boom, update uh, across the board when it comes to their voter registration.
1: Yes, and the problem is, um, in Arizona, is that, you know, people, that should happen unless, but the person should be given the option to say, no, don't change my voting address, this is only for my driver's license. And in Arizona, people haven't been getting that option. So now if they just update everybody's address, that could cause a you know, a whole mm. other set of problems. And it's particularly uh, potential a potential problem for Native American voters who often want their driver's license address associated with a P.O. box or something where they can get mail reliably, but that's not where they live. Wow, Uh, updating the address would cause another set of problems. So we're not asking the secretary to do that. We are what we are asking for is to have the secretary of state count the ballots if they're cast in the old polling location, at least for the elections where the person would be able to vote, you know, no matter where they Mm -hmm. vote, like statewide elections such as Senate or if they've moved, you know, from one place to another within the same congressional district.
0: To not simply discard the ballot entirely uh, when it, it would be something that they would be able to vote on anyway, like U.S. Senate, uh, had they voted in their uh, what what would be their new precinct. Just one of the reasons why we have, we are continuing to say, damn near day after day after day on the broadcast. Check your registrations, even if you think you're registered, even if you think you've been uh, uh, voting at the same place for year after year after year. Check your registration. Do it multiple times between uh, now and November 6th of this year. Uh, And, of course, uh, those folks who are uh, going to be voting in uh, uh, Arizona on Tuesday, well... Uh, good luck. I, I suspect uh, Demos and a bunch of others of us will be fighting like hell to have your votes uh, counted. Stuart uh, nafi really appreciate you joining us, really appreciate what uh, Demos is doing there, keeping up the good fight. I hope you'll uh, stay in touch as both of these cases in both Florida and Arizona move forward. You can find uh, Demos' work on the web at demos.org and, of course, on the Twitters. I think, at simply Demos, uh, or is it uh, Demos underscore org? Do you recall? Demos underscore org. Okay, good. Uh, Demos underscore org. Uh, Stuart Nafee, Voting Rights Attorney and Senior Counsel at Demos, really appreciate you joining us today, and good luck in both of those lawsuits, sir.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: All right. Great. Let's uh, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. I know uh, some of you want to ring in on that. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. If you have any thoughts, 818-985-KPFK. Otherwise, I got a whole bunch of uh, other stories and uh, things that uh, have been going on over the weekend to fill you in on, including the DNC, which had a huge rule change at their um at their weekend uh, at their annual meeting in Chicago over the weekend regarding super delegates that Bernie Sanders supporters ought to be super psyched about I think we'll find out our phone number is 818-985-5735 818-985 KPFK I'm Brad Friedman this is your broadcast <laughs> making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Yeah, Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. The Democrats were meeting in sweet home Chicago over the week uh, to make a sweeping rules change uh, to the way they run presidential elections. Uh, I'll get to that in a moment. If you have any thoughts you'd like to ring in on that, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, Also, this just breaking, and uh, my apologies in advance for not having a lot of details here, because this is minutes ago, uh, breaking out of North Carolina. Um, Rick Hassan reports at Election Law Blog that a case with potentially national implications, both short and long term, uh, finds a three-judge district court in North Carolina has held that the congressional redistricting plan put in place... Uh, after North Carolina's districts last time were found to be a racial gerrymander, are, in fact, an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander. Uh, The remedy is not yet set, but the court uh, may have a remedy in place for the 2018 elections, Hassan reports, which is kind of amazing that this would happen this late in the game. Uh, The... uh, their districts, their congressional districts, were already found to be an unconstitutional gerrymander, and it was taken to the uh, or the U.S. Supreme Court, put on hold what to do about it. But this is now a new case. I'm not clear what the difference is um, in this case versus the last one, but Hassan points out there's a difference right now at uh, the Supreme Court with what's going on in that Justice Kennedy has now retired. We therefore have a four-to-four four court. Uh, and with uh, if this particular case goes to the court, because the court is divided four-to-four, four, he says, um, if, if they can't decide one way or another and they vote four-to-four four on this particular case, then the lower court ruling would stand, meaning there needs to be new non-gerrymandered districts in North Carolina for the U.S. House this November again this is just in and I'm not sure what to uh, make of it yet but um, uh, that's kind of astounding Uh, we'll get to the uh, DNC and Chicago momentarily but I know Mike from L.A. wanted to ring in on that uh, last segment hey Mike welcome to the broadcast sir
2: I think it's appalling that people could live for years to generations in a country without learning to speak just a little bit of the native tongue. Uh, The place where the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution were framed and adopted should be respected by people learning at least a small conversational amount of Delaware, a.k.a. Lenape, and otherwise people should not be permitted to vote or own an NFL team.
0: They, they Wait, they should not be allowed to vote if they can't speak English?
2: If they shouldn't be able to speak even a little conversational Delaware. Ah, That's uh, Native N- language.
0: Ah, Native American language. Okay, I see and where I you're see. going here. You're right. If they can't speak any, uh, even a little bit of Native American, we should uh, keep them from casting a vote.
2: I think she. <laughs>
0: Okay. I I appreciate that uh, thought. I think he's being somewhat ironic, uh, maybe sarcastic there. But no, you're you're absolutely right. The idea that—and these are, by the way, these are people who have lived, you know, as we were talking about in the previous segment, people who have lived in Puerto Rico who speak Spanish, who have lived there all their lives. In this case, the plaintiff is 70 years old. And uh, she had to flee because of the storm, and now she's having a hell of a time voting, along with tens of thousands of others who don't speak, uh, who don't speak English, uh, or, apparently Native American. Des- uh, you're of Native American lineage. Do you speak any?
4: <laughs> very, very little, and nothing I would feel confident enough saying live on the air. However, yeah. you know he brings no up an excellent, exactly he brings up an excellent point that you know these uh, that all of this land was taken from Native American tribes. So yeah, therefore you could you could probably make a plausible excuse for that. <laughs>
0: is our phone number. The Democratic National Committee voted on Saturday to significantly curtail the power of so-called superdelegates and make presidential caucuses more accessible, overcoming objections from a vocal minority of its membership. The reform package was pushed by DNC Chair Tom Perez and allies of Vermont's independent Senator Bernie Sanders, among others, had passed overwhelmingly by a voice vote at the DNC's summer meeting uh, in Chicago two years after beginning this process. Uh, Perez and others hailed the outcome as momentous, saying the reforms will help welcome new people into the party by reassuring them that their vote will never be overruled by the party leaders who can vote for whomever they want, uh, for the presidential nomination uh, on Saturday, uh, the Democrats chipped away at the role that those party insiders, those activists, those elected officials, um, that that the role that they play in choosing the presidential nominee, the move to uh, limit the influence of superdelegates at the party's convention ahead of the 2020 presidential primaries. Ends according to CNN, we'll see if it ends. Uh, a tumultuous two year effort that was born out of the divisive 2016 contest between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Almost all members of the Democratic National Convention curtailed the ability of the superdelegates to vote on the first ballot for the party's presidential nominee beginning with the 2020 election. The group of about 700 automatic, unpledged party leaders. Elected officials and activists uh, previously were able to back whoever they wanted for the nomination and that critics and Sanders supporters have charged gave Hillary Clinton an undue advantage back in 2016, thanks in no small part to the corporate media uh, reporting the endorsements of these unelected uh, delegates as if none of the actual elected delegates from the primaries and the caucuses would ultimately matter because, oh, the the superdelegates already had uh, Hillary chosen and it didn't matter what the the voters had to say, essentially. Now, Sanders only ended up getting about 45 percent of the elected uh, delegates. During the primary and caucus uh, process. So he would not have had the he wouldn't have won the nomination anyway, even without the so-called superdelegates voting. Uh, But there's persistent support for Hillary Clinton throughout the process and then reported or I should say misreported by the corporate media. Uh, has led uh, many progressives to argue that uh, the DNC was putting their thumb on the scale for Clinton, no matter what voters in primaries and caucuses around the country determined throughout the actual voting process back in 2016. So that will all now be changed in 2020 according to the party, which expressed their need for unity at the meeting in Chicago over the weekend, Uh, Both sides uh, came together to pass this new process. CNN reports that Saturday's vote officially bars the superdelegates from voting on the first ballot to choose the party's presidential nominee at the 2020 Democratic National Convention. And unless a uh, unless a candidate has secured a majority of the convention using only pledged delegates, uh, they won't be able to vote the, the uh, super delegates until subsequent uh, subsequent ballots. If they don't reach a majority on the first ballot. Um, uh, DNC Chair Tom Perez said today is a historic day for our party. We passed major reforms that will not only put our next presidential nominee in the strongest position possible, but will help us elect Democrats up and down the ballot across the country. He says these reforms will grow our party, unite Democrats and restore voters trust. By making our twenty twenty nominating process the most inclusive and transparent in history. Do you agree? Do you feel better about that? Do you still have concerns about the Democratic Party at this point, even after those changes? There is a very crowded field of Democrats expected to run for the nomination in twenty twenty. So you feel any better about the process? Uh it's a big uh, a pretty big change. And um It's to one of the central complaints that has long been held about the process by Bernie Sanders supporters. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. 818-985-5735. Also this today, the government's top official overseeing $1.5 trillion student loan market resigned in protest on Monday citing what he says is the uh, White House's open hostility toward protecting the nation's millions of student loan borrowers. Seth Frautman uh, will be stepping down as the student loan ombudsman at the end of the week, according to his resignation letter, which was obtained by the Associated Press. He's held that position since 2016. He's been with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, since its inception in 2011, uh, he this is the latest high-level departure from the CFPB, following Mick Mulvaney, uh, who is President Trump's budget director, since he was muscled in to take over the supposedly independent federal agency in late November. Frotman's departure is uh, particularly noteworthy, AP reports, since his nonpartisan office is one of the few parts of the U.S. government that was tasked with handling student loan issues. Um, In his resignation letter obtained by AP, Frotman writes to Mulvaney, you have used the Bureau to serve the wishes of the most powerful financial companies in America. The damage you have done to the Bureau betrays these families and sacrifices the financial futures of millions of Americans in communities across the country. The office was at the uh, center of uh, uh, lawsuits against for-profit colleges like Corinthian Colleges, and it's currently heading up a lawsuit between the uh, CFPB and Navient, uh, one of the nation's largest student lenders. But the Navient lawsuit has been mired in bureaucratic red tape because the Department of Education head, Betsy DeVos, has been unwilling to help the CFPB with their lawsuit against this this group that they say is ripping off um, students, essentially. Since its creation, the Student Loan Office, which now has uh, no head since Seth Frotman is dropping, down, uh, uh, dropping out, uh, since its creation, the Student Loan Office has returned some $750 million to harmed borrowers. Um, so just... <laughs> just more of this administration crumbling all around us, and uh, that all works out great for corporations. Let's take some calls here. Let's go to uh, Richie in North Hollywood. Hey, Richie, welcome to the broadcast.
3: Hey, how are you doing, Brad? I'm
0: okay. You feel better about what the DNC did uh, to change party rules over the weekend?
3: It's a good start. I just um, just wanted to Expand on something that you were t- discussing about Bernie getting only 45 of percent of the votes, uh-huh. pledged votes. But two things never seem to get mentioned. One is that he started his campaign late. Right. So it was tough in the first early primaries. Mm-hmm. And secondly, Hillary won all basically all of the Southern delegates, which, in fact, was worthless because everybody knew she wasn't going to win any electoral votes in the South. So if you really analyze the data a little more deeply, you'll see that Bernie was really um, much better positioned to win the election. Uh,
0: Okay. I I guess we can uh, debate that, and we probably will continue debating that for decades. Uh, But when we're talking about picking the party nominee, um, I don't think that the votes uh, from the South are worthless. I think they have a, a voice in this like everyone else does. And by the way, the South is turning... Uh, purpler if not bluer by the moment. Just look down. Uh, look at what's happening in Georgia right now.
3: Yeah, no, it's getting better. But I'm just saying that when the, when she picked up all those delegates, um, mm-hmm. they really didn't help her in the general election. But they gave yeah. her they gave her the nomination, uh, which you know you can make a case that it was kind of uh, votes that really weren't weren't going to matter ultimately. And and if you look at Bernie in the other states. Mm-hmm. I bet it's not 45% anymore that he won.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I haven't done the math, but I have a hard time just lopping off an entire segment of the uh, the country just because of our the way our electoral college works. I think those folks have uh, all the right in the world uh, to have a oh, say oh, in, sure. in the party no, nominee. I'm not saying yeah.
3: they shouldn't. I'm just yeah. trying to explain why people say, oh, well, he only had 45%. Of he had more than 50% of the votes that, in this case, in this particular election, mattered.
0: All right. I appreciate that, uh, Richie. Uh thanks for the call. Uh of course I think all the votes matter, but that maybe just me. Let's go to Wayne in Huntington Beach. Uh well, hey Wayne, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. You bet.
3: Um well I think the superdelegate thing is, is great because I think what it was is the the party establishment uh could keep an establishment person uh in the primary. Mm-hmm and it, it left out other possibilities. And so I think it would be great. There's a possibility that maybe a socialist uh, could win in the primaries, and we could have this conversation once and for all to decide, you know, because I think a lot of college students have, got, have gravitated towards socialism without knowing anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I think if a socialist got elected, Uh, in the primaries, then we could have a real debate about it and let the American people decide whether that's the direction they want to go.
0: Fair enough. We'll see what happens if uh, if nobody reaches a uh, a majority on the first ballot under these new rules. Then the super delegates, the uh, party faithful, and the uh, establishment will have a say, even under the new rules. But uh, yeah, this could uh, opens up a lot of possibilities. Uh, thanks for the call, Wayne. I appreciate it. Let me take a quick break here and come back with more of your calls. Uh, Bob and Gardena, Susan and Glendale, and our old friend Mo. We'll try to get to everyone if we can. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast.
4: Bradblog.com slash donate. That's Bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
0: Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. I'm not aware of too many things either, but I do my best. 818 985 5735 is our phone number. 818 985 5735. Does he? Oh, she's on the. Do you have a. You said uh, on, this, on the call screen here that. Someone wanted to know if there was time for hand-marked, to get hand-marked paper ballots before November. Do you have any idea what, uh, the caller couldn't hold, where were they talking about? Uh, I think idea? it was
4: about California, um, but uh, I think, you know, generally there's a lot of question around the country about whether each individual state, if it's possible for voters to push for hand, oh, hand
0: hand-counted, actually, she was uh, referring to, not hand-marked paper ballots, but right. hand-counted. Oh, well, yeah, uh, in time for this November's election... Not if it's going to be an orderly uh, uh, process, at least uh, unless it's in a a recount of some so-called recount after the election. But as far as hand counting, very few states do it. Uh, Some towns in, uh, I should say, very few jurisdictions do it. Some towns in uh, New Hampshire do it. Uh, The uh, Columbia County, New York, Will not certify any elections, even though they're required to use the optical scan system out there. They won't certify any elections until they have hand-counted all the ballots in the race in uh, Columbia County, New York, which is upstate. But other than that, uh, no, uh, this fight for hand-counted paper ballots, I should say this fight for hand-marked paper ballots continues, much less hand-counted paper ballots. All I can do is keep reporting on it and covering it, but we do need people you guys out there to raise holy hell wherever you are, in whatever jurisdiction you are, uh, to help out in this fight. Let me go to uh, Bob in Gardena. Hey, Bob. Welcome to the broadcast.
2: Oh, hi. Thanks for taking the call. I didn't expect it so soon. Um, basically, I don't know the, the significance of Super uh, Place uh, As long as you're corporate Democrats, you're putting, uh, what, ex-military, ex-CIA, whatever they're doing. How, how does that change the Democrats? from being who they are. Uh, they're not. There's, there's no progressive movement in, in the basic Democratic Party, so I, I don't understand the significance of super-delegates. You,
0: you don't think there's a, a progressive movement within the Democratic Party?
2: One lady got elected in New York, and right. uh, they're outsiders, they're not taken mm-hmm. in by the party, so uh, the party doesn't accept progressive uh, people. So I, I can't see how that's a movement of any kind. They want to be the same people they are, taking money, taking bribes. So what difference does it make about superdelegates?
0: Okay. Get it. Well, I, one of the difference that it makes is that uh, it's going to be up to the voters in the primaries and the caucuses in 2020 to decide who the DNC uh, nominee will be, whether or not uh, the DNC insiders... Uh, like it or not. Essentially, if if uh, one of the candidates, if a progressive candidate can win over a majority of the voters during the primary process, that candidate, in theory, will become the uh, the DNC uh, uh, nominee for 2020 for president. That's a big deal, well, Bob.
2: Who are the, I mean, if you're putting in ex-military right-wingers and all that, what does that make you? That makes you kind of a, a secondary r- right wing party.
0: Is, is, is uh, Bernie Sanders a, a, a military CIA guy? Is Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is uh, Elizabeth Warren CIA military? Well,
2: Bernie Sanders definitely isn't imper- against imperial wars. He never he's never said anything against our imperial invasion occupations. Okay. So I, I don't know what he stand that he stands for anything strong that, in that regard. Uh, he says a lot of things domestically, but right. i don't know the ladies' uh, uh uh foreign policy but but i don 't see any movement away from uh <laughs> being uh imperialist uh, uh, Aggressors uh, dominating the earth. I, uh, right. I don't see any difference in uh, the Democrats being different than the right wingers.
0: Thanks, Bob. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate the call. Here's here's my response. Move them. You don't see any movement. Move them. That's our job uh, as voters. Let me go to uh, who who do I have here? Shannon in L.A. Uh, hey, Shannon. Welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind?
3: Hey, thanks, uh, thanks, Brad. Hey, I, I had a quick thought. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a caller a little earlier that uh, kind of had said, well, uh, certain
1: votes are not counted the same, and uh, I wanted to kind of echo that. We have this romantic notion of kind of one vote, one person, but it's entirely true in our political system, especially when you kind of uh, take the example of the general election. You know, the system that we have isn't one vote, one person. In fact, me in L.A., California, the statistical odds that my vote tips the balance of the uh, presidential election is one one thousandth that of somebody in Florida, and so that's a truism. I'm one one thousandth as important as a person in Florida. So from from that angle, what I wanted to ask you and see if you had any insight was: Is there any reason why the Democratic Party can't um, kind of set an example for the whole nation and create a primary that's more of a one vote, one person, nationwide uh, mandate
3: goes to the popular winner kind of mm-hmm. system?
0: I don't think there's any reason why they couldn't do that if they wanted to do that. I think that, uh, I mean, basically the Democratic Party is run by uh, essentially uh, 50 different state parties, state Democratic uh, uh, parties. So I, I think they'd have to get everyone together. There would have to be a push for that. And, you know, I mean, it's it's been two years they've been pushing for this change to superdelegates alone. Your idea is an interesting one. But you know what? It's going to take uh, movement from the grassroots, from the state party levels, I think, to— uh, to change that process. Uh, Thanks, Shannon. I appreciate that call. Sorry, i got to jump out here because we're uh, coming up to the top of the hour, uh, and I need to fit in very quickly. Do I have um, uh, Morris in Long Beach? Let me get in, Mo. He's good at being tight, short and sweet here. Hey, Mo, you got about 15 seconds, brother.
3: The Democrats are uh, smart to do what they're doing. They're seeing the writing on the wall. You better be receptive to what the people want. Thank you, Brad.
0: You think this is going to make a difference, Mo? Oh, he's gone. All right. Uh, and I see, uh, shoot, Mimi Kennedy has called in, but I can't get to her because I don't want to give her 15 seconds of time. So let's hold her for another time. Uh, is that all right? Okay. Thanks, Mimi. Thank you for understanding. Uh, And I can't get out. We got to get out. Sorry. Never enough time. But that's what tomorrow's broadcast is for. I hope you will join me for that one as well. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator today, D'Angelo Jones, to my guest, Stuart uh, Nafee of Demos and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. We've got hundreds, if not thousands, of them for you at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. And thanks to all of you who called in today, including those I couldn't get to, including my friend Mimi. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.